0: You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Recently, I sat down with wartime Royal Air Force WAF, Connie Bickford, at her home
1: in Coe.
0: Can I get you to state your full name?
1: Constance Elsie Bickford. And known as Connie? Connie, known as
0: Connie. And what was your uh, maiden name?
1: double okay. A-U-D-R-I-T-T was the worst name you could have ever had, because <laughs> we never knew anybody that was not our relative. Oh, all right. And then I got it on the computer to find out why. And we came down from 1066, Battle of Hastings. And I can share it to you on the computer. It came down. This is a very interesting historical name. It came down in its original form. I thought, I wish I hadn't. (laughs) (laughs) But because we always had to spell it.
0: Oh yeah, of course, yep. yep. And
1: it was really a pain. We never knew anybody that wasn't if it was an ordered, it belonged to our family.
0: Right. Okay. So right. so um what was your date of birth and place of birth?
1: Fifteen ten nineteen. Uh where where were you born? In somewhere in London. Okay. Yep. Do you remember your service number? Two double oh three seven eight seven. Right. Good. Um, and yeah, just
0: um, you were t- telling me before I turned the recorder on about what was happening before you joined up, and yes. you, you were working as a window dresser. So I was
1: window dresser. Well, I was building windows. Um, do you know UK at all? Uh, yeah, I've I've been there. Oh, not a little bit. You know Marks and Spencers. Yes. Then yep. there was another big store, the same British Home Stores. Oh yeah, yep. I worked for British Home Stores oh okay right
0: so that's a chain store right across yes that's
1: right yeah. yeah and we i built the windows in the dummy room and we sent the photographs to all the branches and all the instructions and we had to turn out five windows a week wow
0: and so then they would copy your photographs in their own windows with yeah. with
1: the stock. they had to, they had a, fi- um, a, a file and when we sent them the f- Um, the the list of windows I had to go in that week the photographs were there all the instructions how to build the windows were up there and everything I had to do all that and then get on with the next window Wow,
0: that's something that's quite interesting because the shop window used to be much more important I think than it is now Oh yes It's -hmm. it's it's gone by the wayside isn't it
1: Yes, but what was the difficulty then was as soon as you put windows in or at least they icing them out and phone into me and say look we've had our blown windows all blown in last night right and then you had to go and teach them how to do bomb windows where you took all the glass out just left a panel like this and then you had to dress all your windows towards that so that they could look in through this square of glass and you could see everything that was in there so we had to uh, do a different type of window dressing. Okay,
2: okay.
1: And then, then of course, I thought, no, I'm not going over this. I want to join the forces.
0: Yeah. And, but, and but you were saying that you were in London. So I was. Tell me about being in London at that stage.
1: Oh, when we were bombed every night.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, well, foggy nights were wonderful because the bombers didn't come over. But the th- chief thing I remember of those days was the waves of bombers coming one after the other after the other and the docks in London being all on fire and you know, it was an awful thing to do, praying that these waves would go on and on you knew somebody else was going to get them but we just wanted them out of our area yeah. and um, I was living in Kens- Kensington and across diagonally across the street from us was the Belgian Embassy had opened up and came up, got out of Belgium and opened up there and operated from there. And that was a big building. And in their basement, they had all the sewage pipes and the water pipes and everything. And if we did fire watch on the top of their buildings, because the Germans were using incendiary bombs, and if you did fire watch on top of the buildings, you were allowed to sleep down underneath and take your turn to go up and yep. do your fire watch. Well, um, most of it went over we your head, all this crashing and banging around, and um, we had one of those landmines they put down quite close to us, and there were whole streets flattened by the time we got up in the morning. But I wasn't ever bombed out, I was bombed in, because we went down underneath the building, and the blast came in. So it brought all the rubber and mud in. That was 2 o'clock in the morning, and we had to wait until it, after 8 o'clock before we got... somebody came along with the shovel and dug us out. Wow. But um, they were still exciting times. You know, the minute it was a foggy night, oh, gosh, let's go over to Ham Smith's that pallet of the dance or something like that, you know. We made, took advantage of everything you could take advantage of and we had no money. And even when I was working in London, we out no dressing. We still had no money because they gave, they found me a place to live one side of London, and I had to work the other side. By the time I paid my landlady and my bus fare, that took and sent money home to my mother. Yeah. I had nothing left. Thursday night, never had anything to eat. I had to wait to get paid on Friday. But we knew we were getting paid on Friday, so that was fine. It's, um I don't know, I think life is what you make it. Yeah. You know? There was no good worry about whether the German bomb was coming down on you. When you heard it whistle, it was a bit too near. But uh, when it went crump, things started falling off places, that was different.
2: Yes.
1: i tell you what was the most frightening thing in those days, N- a nerving thing. Before I joined the WEF I was walking down Notting Hill Gate one Sunday afternoon, beautiful Sunday afternoon, no air raid warning or anything, other. and all of a sudden there a terrific explosion behind you and exploded bombs had got, uh, gone on the building and they were the things that shook you. When there was an air raid warning going on, you expected it. Right. But when you got back to bed after fire-watching and going down and, 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 uh, the small Court to, on the aero right shelter there, got back into bed on a Sunday morning, you think, ah, oh, thank goodness for that, and get some sleep. All of a sudden, an unexploded bomb went up. One came down, I don't know if you remember that, one came down um, the escalator on the station oh. and blew up and, and blew up underground and it was right under where we were.
2: Wow.
1: No, and the underground, and that was not one of the very deep lines either. And that gives you a bit of a shake, and a, f- a few windows came out and things like that. Yeah. I thought, damn it, I was just gonna get some sleep. But, but You know, I I wouldn't have missed it for anything. You know, and then in the house, my company, British Home Stores, um, they were so keen on me going up there. I said, now, where am I going to live? They said, we'll fix you up with a room. And do you know those big terraced houses, something like downtown Abbey? Yes. They were all let out in rooms during the war. And you had a room, you had a gas ring, where you had a penny, put a penny in the slot to boil a kettle, but you had to go up to the next floor where the water was, and, and then I think it was sixpence in there to get it. 4-inch bath and um, we used to sort of congregate there from other floors right. and we got to know people quite well and there was one middle-aged woman and she was very, very nice and she got out of France and she's telling us a little bit about it and we we just called her Lulu Did call, didn't know her by any other name and I was talking to her about I wanted to join the WAF and I said, but I don't want to be in the cookhouse peeling spuds. Yep. So she said, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a letter to my cousin who, who is in Air Ministry. Just take it up and hand it in. I said, I want to do something important. So I took it up to Air Ministry, handed it over. And somebody came out and said, thank you very much. You'll be hearing from us. Never saw anybody to interview me or what I was or anything about me. So I went off. And then I go to what we call square bashing, where we had to go um, two weeks, um, turning, um, um, learning how to salute and how to turn and what you had to do. And you come up, don't bring any clothes with you, just what you stand up in. Yeah and they kitted you out. You saw the doctor, you saw the dentist, you saw these, birds, they kitted you out, and then that box of clothes went back home, and right. you only ever wore those when you were on official leave.
2: Okay, yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. in, in, in and out of camp, you were never, ever through the guard room without uh, uniform, I'll show you. Right. And so anyway, I went innocently up there, and, I, and then we were posted. So where was
0: where was that, that you did? At Bridge North. Okay.
1: And then you you didn't know, you just go and there's a notice board up of people being posted here and posted there and posted everywhere. And and there are five of us name on the board that morning. And transport will pick you up and take you to the station. When you get on the train, you'll be given your tickets, you'll know where you're going. Right. So one I had got to know because she slept in the next bed to me and she she was a very nice person I kept up with her few years after the war and so we went to the station got on the train got our passes for the train and it says Portreath. everybody says where's that where's that and one girl says I know where that that's Portree in Scotland I know all about that so we sit on the train and the train starts going south. I said, that's a heck of a funny way to get to Portree." <laughs> and so we had to think about it again, because you couldn't ask any questions during the war. Oh,
2: no.
1: And it was Portree, thinned Cornwall. Oh, right. So instead of going to Scotland, we were going... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was my first station. And mostly, your first stations are pretty big ops rooms, because this is where you really... There was no tuition. That is where you learned all the things that had to happen all the way through. Up, so you started on the little uh, simple jobs, DF finding, where you had a round table with six of us sitting round and a hole in the middle and a cord with a bit of wood on the end, and you got a bearing from the um, from the um, observer corps, and you pull your string out on the bearing they gave you and where they crossed, that was where the aircraft was. Oh, right. So you, once you knew that, that was simple. Then you had to learn all about height and wind speed. And then you had to, eventually you got onto the plotting tables and you just stood by and just watched what people were doing. and The controller just said, oh, you do this, you do that and do something else. Get your stick and get on the tables. There was no training. You just, and some people took longer than others. And I will show you a very funny thing in this book, you read, about what I was classed as a Clark SD, Clark Special Duties. Right. And in this book, you'll see they had to be above average education. Um, and they were a lot of, lot of titled women among us, wow. and everything like that. But we were just a neighbour number, so it didn't matter. We didn't know who was who. And I left school at fourteen, no education at all. But because I knew Lulu, and her, the letter went to her cousin, Sir Archibald Sinclair, the, one of the air ministers. I didn't know who I was going to.
2: Wow.
1: And I've been a lucky person all my life. And so I end up as a Clark S. Dean on plotting tables. And, of course, you stay there on plotting tables. You thoroughly, thoroughly understand. Some people never, ever came off. They stayed on plotting tables all their the, um, WEF career. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I have no more idea than the man in the moon why I got sent down to a radar set. Okay. On my own. I don't know why I don't know the, when they just put their hand in the hat and pulled an umbrella. out. I don't know how they did it. Anyway, I went down um, to Portreath, and I thought this is a bit funny because a lot of these girls seem to be come out of university because a lot of them left off what they were doing and the, the girl in bed next to me was at um, in, um, camp with me at Bridge North, she had been a medical student okay. she packed that up so she'd been a medical student I didn't take much notice of what she'd been nobody took much notice of anything else but I had a feeling oh, where do I fit in with these, all these people and people from well, very wealthy homes you just, it eats down sort of thing yeah. but you're all treated the same and i probably there, I probably was the only one with no education at all but I got on just as well, if not better, than a lot of them. And, um you know, as my mother said, you may not have many brains, but you've plenty of common sense, for God's sake, use it. You know? And I could always cut mom's things, and, you know, I've done, I've done I don't know how many jobs in my life through circumstances. And I loved it, because it was a real leveller. We used no Christian names. You gradually got to know pe- people's Christian names, but you were just a name and a number. And um, we were in Disson Huts, and they, I think we were 25 in the hut. There was a sergeant and two corporals, and the rest of us were just, you know, just operational people. Yep. And um, nobody took any notice of what anybody, the sergeant had a bit more weight, but nothing else. But there, there, I met a funny thing. We had a, a, a woman that used to, well, used to take us for PT to keep us fit, and she was a bit of a dragon, and her name was Mo- Molly Parish, and we found out her father was a, a, a clown in, in Bertram Mill Circus. <laughs> Uh, she used to take us on route marches when we but the thing is when you do a three-watch system because you had to with the war the a b and c watch everything that you had to go to outside of that was in your own time it was either a parade or an inspection or something and always had to be in your own time and they were a bit of a pain but um I love that station, and we stayed there the longest because once you knew everything from there, you got posted around. I, I was on a lot of different stations, okay. and um, but we of it was rather nice because you you got posted to another station, and you might go on your own or with somebody you didn't know, and all of a sudden I'd be walking around camp, and somebody would say, "Hey, is that you, Lucky?" I'd been on another station with her.
2: Right.
1: and But the same name of Lucky went on through all my career. Okay. Because yep. they said I was one of the lucky ones. Everything. <laughs> they said I got away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk my way out of anything when I got in trouble. <laughs> but um, they were... Ha- Do you know, people have criticized me for this because they've said to me... Um, about the war. I said, you know, they were some of the happiest times in our life. And he said, what? You know, they thought it was dreadful saying the war. But you had to work hard and play hard. And that's the only way you could get through. Because, of course, in squadrons we lost quite a lot and, you know, the squadrons would go out and, say, twelve went out and seven, eight came back and, you know, and you did get to know them quite well, because the nearest place you could get in the warm, in the winter time was in the local pub. Right. Because we had a stove combustion stove in the middle of the hut, and they ran on coke. You know coke? Yep. And, but more than often, we had no coke delivered. So the distant huts were freezing because there's no no ceilings to them or anything like that. And come off duty, go into the cookhouse, grab a meal, go down to the local pub. And this one friend of mine, I was telling you about, Valley. Um, we go down together, and we got twelve and sixpence a fortnight, uh, which you had to buy all your personal stuff out of that. And yeah. um, so. We didn't have any money. We used to walk into the bridge, and I, I get it. i show it to you on the computer. Actually, it's still there, just the same. Um, walk in there, half a pint of beer, please, and two glasses, because we could only afford a quarter of a pint of beer each. But you would think the landlord would think, "Well, what are they taking up space for?" But where we went, the pilots used to come. Right. So we could get in there with half a pint of beer, two glasses, and we could be there all the of the evening. because <laughs>
2: so
0: that'd be buying any of the beers, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, they, oh they, they knew we had no money. They used to, and we got to know a lot of the squadrons very, very well. Some we didn't, we didn't even get to know any of the night fighters because, of course, they were off when we were on. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And we had both fighters. Um But we controlled them at night. We knew them by number and everything in the air, but we didn't know them personally. But the the, um, squadrons, uh, Spitfires, my husband was a Spitfire pilot, you got to know them because they were off when we were off. And they were in the bridge when we went there at night. So, you know, some people couldn't understand how we had fun in those days. And, you know you had some very serious things happen, and uh, you just had to, put, like when the squadrons came back and they'd lost somebody, straight into the mess and beer and a cigarette. Yeah. You know, you couldn't dwell on it. Yeah. And same was with, during the war, in the bombing, you couldn't dwell on it. You Nobody know, going to work the next day and saying I'm tired, so is everybody else, nobody's had any sleep, you know. Right. No sympathy for anybody, <laughs> but um it was a wonderful life, and I got to know strange things. I had one girl on our watch, and I used to go through from Port Reith in Cornwall up to to um Southampton to um to not to home, but it was the nearest point I could get to and she used to go to Ringwood. we used to hitch together. there was no private petrol at all you were lucky if you got a ride in a car that would be a doctor or somebody important mostly it was on the back of army lorries, navy lorries anything that came on the road and we just had to hitch and I I hitched with her time and time and time again and I left that station and I was talking about it she said you know who that was that was an honourable lady somebody you hitched with (laughs) you wouldn't have known the difference And we had oh, quite a few type of people. And we questioned it later on when we got to know about this. Why did they join up with us? Why were in the offices and things like that? They said they were only too happy to get off the hook from behaving themselves at home and be just one of the crowd. We used to go to, to the local pub. All the watch went down, including Honourable this and Lady this and all the rest of it.
0: It actually makes me wonder, after the war ended and they went back to their old lives, it must have been really hard for them after having been, had their freedom.
1: It was hard for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Because when the war ended and you were demobbed, you thought, what in the heck am I going to do? Any other job seemed to be a waste of time. Yep. There was no purpose to it. And it was very, very hard for people to settle down after the war. Right. Very hard. That's why a lot of the um, people we knew they started drinking and things like that because they just had taken that intense um, thing away of something you had to do and it had to be done properly, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And but um, oh, we 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 had fun.
0: So um, can you tell me about the radar sets? What were yes? What were they like?
1: No. I was posted down to a radar set outside Swanage in Dorset. Right out on the headland. They, of course they were. We didn't know how far apart we were. We only knew our set. You didn't talk during the war. Yeah. And they were, I found out later by reading the books, we were 20 miles apart. Oh, right. All right on the cliff edge. And I was in Swanage in Dorset. And that was right opposite where the invasion went in. I was on duty. Luckily, everybody was saying they wanted or they hoped they would be the watch on duty when it went in. And I was on that watch and they said, yes, you lucky again. And that um, we went from there, Swanage, we came out of Swanage and we went past Corfe Castle. Then we turned inland through farmlands and we opened and shut farmers gates and things like that. and. In big transports, and we went right up to, right on the edge of the cliff. And the cliff fell away in front of us. Yep. And our set, they were, oh, our sets weren't were even as big as this room,
2: okay. you
1: know. And then we had, when you came in, the first place you came into was the, were, the man that looked after the set. Now, he was an Aucklander uh, mm. there, but we never did know his name because we called him Sparks. Because he looked after the set. Yep. So I don't think any... But then, of course, he didn't live in the WAF camp. He lived up on Main Camp. Yep. So then um, we went right down to the edge of the cliff. And we had a little canteen where we used to take the rations up for the night and because you did an eight-hour shift. And that was the usual. Um, bread, milk... Um, tea they kept up there and margarine the tin big tins of jam were kept up there always called mixed fruit it was mostly carrots and everything in it you know <laughs> but that was all we had but you came in and sparks was there in his little room Very, not as big as my kitchen set was and we were told that they came these sets they, we don't know the truth of this. They came over from America, and our name was nicknamed uh, called pea soup because it was transported from America in the convoys in boxes all labelled pea soup. Oh, okay. Now whether that was the truth or not, we don't know. But we were always pea soup, right. and um, then you went in into a compound that was rail and um, um, uh, just farm round that was I should say about as big as two football fields and we had the um army air corps um at the gate there and they had to give warning of anything that's likely to attack us yeah. and the Germans got very very wise we were stuck it was a point you see that because that's we it had to be because I was on a chain home low set, right. and they sweep low. Okay. Yeah. And so you had to be out on a point because there's no good us being where they really couldn't. We all almost swept um, at wave level.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. A bit above that. But um, so we never stayed on one position more than two hours. It was changed over all the time. We worked on the Cathray tubes, and um, those sets were well guarded, except, of course, when the Germans flew over, and they tried to make us destroy our own sets. Ah. And we had a warning one time, I was on duty, um, stand by to destroy, and that is to destroy your set, because you couldn't let them fall into enemy hands. And We were all standing by waiting for the all-clear to do, we'd go on and do, destroy our sets and um, Everybody had a certain number of pieces that you I had so many valves I had to destroy you all had a bit of the set to destroy and then it all, all of a sudden They came over cancel 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 cancel. We thought what goes on now? Um they were sending aircraft over with parachutes and Men on the end, supposedly, but they were sacks of flour and sacks of soot oh. to make us think they were men. Destroy our own sets.
2: Yeah, they got person. up
1: to all those things. Wow! And then we we went through a stage where it was very difficult operating. When we, do you, did you hear about window?
0: Yes well the the uh, tenil
1: uh, yeah, well, you tried to tinsel. operate down a cathode tube with window, and they took a control and say, "What's that what's that what's that?" And you were looking in and trying to find a bit of window that went one way and kept going on the same line, and then we used to pass over to the next tube, and they if if it wasn't like that because you they it's no good passing that over to them, but when you picked up something, you gated it. And you passed it over to the person doing the gating, who stopped on it, concentrated on it, worked out how many um, enemy aircraft were in that. It was a 5 plus 10 blue, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. And the controller was watching all this, you know. And then we had to learn to work, uh, write backwards. We had a big screen um, in the up room and we had to write on one side, the controller had to read it from the other side. Right. (laughs) Well, we, so we had to learn to write backwards. Um, But it was so interesting. It was so terribly interesting. But there were many positions, and one of my favourite positions was always um, liaison. Liaising with the next... um, You know, England was set out, not like counties, but in... In areas like in sectors yes yeah, sectors yeah. we well we were 12 group 10 right. group sorry right. 10 group were 12 group in another place and you were in it but then you had to pass over all the information that came f- going to their sector and make they, c- they c- coming to our sector yeah. and you know it made it extremely interesting I was on duty the night um, Hitler tried to bomb the Silly Islands, because oh, okay. if he, you know, where the Silly Islands right off the point, down uh, the Land's End. end. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: And he was, they had a big session there the Germans, did trying to get control. Had they got control of that, they were on a doorstep. I mean, you don't have many miles away, and we were, our suite went over there.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And um, that was a bad night, because I was on the liaison one night when that happened. And you couldn't change over, you couldn't you couldn't leave it. You couldn't just have the person coming on hadn't been standing watching. Right. You had to hand it over and you couldn't hand over because it was, you know, they you had to get and the person on the other end for me, she couldn't hand over, you know. Yeah. And that's what made it so exciting and and but radar I enjoyed radar very much. But um We were a small community then, and um, I suppose we were only too thrilled to be chosen to go into radar.
0: Just a question. You mentioned about the window that was being dropped. Yes. Was were the Germans dropping that as well? No, the Germans
1: started that nonsense. They started it. They They started it. Yes. I didn't realise that. Yeah, they they started it. The Allies
0: Uh, used it over uh, Germany.
1: And then that was so intense. And you do you remember the days when it? And TV and you used to get snowing mm, yeah it was like working through that right, right. and then the controller shouting at you trying to get some information from you and you just couldn't get it and <laughs> and then when we had um, when you had uh, enemy a- aircraft near the Blim and Bofors guns used to start up on the coast then you couldn't hear anything you know oh, right. uh, they made a heck of a noise um the sets were nice to work on and i think they were about in the ops room there on a set at that time there was between 12 and 14 people
2: okay
1: and and of course the controller sitting up on the dais taking all the stuff and all the rest of it and but um you were at that stage where you knew what was expected of you. It, they never sent anybody there that wasn't capable of following the whole pattern of what was going on. Right. But, um, that, that was a nice place to work. It was a dangerous place to work. And then of course, um, there were three watches and we were all saying, oh, you know, before that happened, we could see the sea was covered with landing craft. All the roads were jammed with army lorries. Any idiot could see it, that it was going in. And they kept saying, why doesn't it go? Why doesn't it go? Why doesn't it go? The weather's not right. What the heck's wrong with the weather? And we couldn't understand it. Of course, nobody told us. And I found out after my husband, the Spitfire Pioneer, three squadrons went up there on the Orkneys and the Shetland Islands and if you ask silly questions you get silly answers of course you don't expect anything else. I said to him what the heck are you going to do up there? He says we're going counting sheep. Of course you couldn't say anything.
2: Yeah.
1: And then um, they were up there, they didn't know what they were up there for, And but recently we have found out that was... The weather station that controlled the weather for the for the invasion ah. and it had to be right for the army the navy and everybody connected and they had to get one little window where everything was right and it was a case of go
2: right right gotcha
0: because I, I know that even when they did go there was a lot of water on the ground because the there'd been so much rain beforehand and where they were coming down with the parachutists and that it was flooded and yes there's a lot of Problems because the Germans have deliberately flooded the area. Around. Oh yes, and, and I know that uh, they had to get the tide right on the beach, on the beaches, and yes,
1: that was more so over the harm. other side. But I, I've got the whole of the Operation Overlord on, um, on my computer, uh, on my D- DVD or DVD. Or like yep. a whole set of them. Okay, everything I've got here is Air Force. And right. There oh, the right yeah, yeah. there's three in there right. and that told me do you know I've learned more about what we did since the war ended now I didn't know about this weather station and my husband who was up there didn't know anything about this weather station they just thought the wind blew a gale up there they spent half the time tying the tails of the aircraft down and they didn't do any operational work
0: so they yes, were just there to protect the station? Yes, yeah.
1: that was what it was for. If Germany had known that Germany had known that station was there, it would have been attacked because that was the weather station put there purposely for it. Right. It was the same as the Bletchley girls. Right. Have you ever read that book about the Bletchley girls.
0: Uh, I, know, I know about them, I have read the book.
1: But. They were well, the most disgruntled crowd of girls under the sun. Because all they had to do is write on a piece of paper, send it to somebody else with something else written on it, pass it on to somebody else. They did their little bit because it was too crucial for them to know any more. And they thought, what in the devil we joined up for? You know, they really, a lot of them tried to get out of it and go somewhere where there's something going on. Uh, We knew Bletchley was there, but we didn't know what they were doing. Oh, okay. Cause nobody, of course, nobody told anything about anything else, but they always used to le- lecture us. When you finish work, don't talk about it. Well, oh, God, can you imagine a lot of young girls wanting to talk about it? Once you shut the door on a set, it was a case of goodbye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but there were spies everywhere, of course. Yeah. You, you really, if you were stupid, you know, yeah. you, you'd be in trouble. But. Uh, we didn't need to talk, it's telling you not to talk about what would work. But, um, Actually,
0: that, that is one thing I was going to ask you yeah. about because I I met a um, a few years ago, I met a, a wife from the RNZF mm. in, in wartime. She was a radar operator too, and she mm. was based at Fenuapai, but she would go out to radar sets on the coast, just like you were doing. Yes. And she said when they would go in and out, they, they were there for maybe two weeks at a time and then. And uh,
1: and we were permanent.
0: Oh right, okay. And she said when they went in and out of this place, it was always done at sort of 2 o'clock in the morning, they were in the back of a truck that was locked down, and and it was so top secret, so nobody knew that. that.
1: Our set didn't work that way at all. We went out on set times for shifts, and we went out of trucks, of course, and we had to wait for the changeover for the other shift to go off, and then they went off. But we never went up individually. Right. Never at all. Right. No, it was the whole shift was on or the whole shift was off.
0: And, and people who lived around that
1: area, were there people like
0: neighbours, farmers? No,
1: we were way out in the farmlands. I couldn't find that place if I tried. Right. And they purposely, I think they took us round different places in farmlands. It took us from Swanage about half an hour to get up on duty. Okay. Yeah. And we used to sing the whole way up and sing the whole way back. <laughs> and, you know, but no, ours was a different to set up altogether. Right. Where was she stationed then? because uh, sh- I never uh, met a station like that.
0: There were there were something like fifty of these around New Zealand.
1: Um, little, oh, little, then, little, you see, we were in England. Yes, yeah, of course, see, yeah. Makes all this. And here they were allowed when they were off watch to wear civilian clothes. We were in completely. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, unless you were on official leave, yes. and then you got a train pass to your f- home. Right. What you did when you got home, change into civil, civilian clothes, you could go where you liked, as long as you appeared back at camp through the guard room in your uniform. Right. Um, it was a completely different setup, um, and you could ask for leave for special things if you wanted. But if you got it, you were lucky, right. because it, it depended whether it suited them. The only time you ever got um, leave was if you had a death in the family, somebody being killed. Yeah. Then you did get it. There was no question about that. And mostly, if we tried hard enough, you could get it to get married, because okay. I had difficulty. I married my husband, I didn't know him from a bar of soap. Um, he was in the Aucklanders and the Shetlands, I was right in Port Ridge and Ruth in Cornwall. Well, when we hardly ever met, I didn't know him at all when I married him. Wow. So, <laughs> um, it was stupid. You know, it was a time when you did stupid things and don't ever make decisions at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, you're sitting quiet nights, of course, the tables were manned. I was on tables then. And the tables were manned they had to be because all of a sudden something could happen and they don't everything and you know you get working but you could knit you could sew you could read you could write and we wrote all our letters when we were on duty if you got the chance but um i had been going out with a fellow in the navy and just coming on watch they put all on a mail out on the table, so I looked at the table and I saw what, two letters from it, I picked them up, put them in my pocket, went on duty, and we were pretty busy, and then we had a quiet period, and I thought, I'll have a look at those letters and see. And George, this fellow in the Navy, he was on HMS Illustrious, he writes and says, I'll be in port, um, you think it's a good idea if we get married. I read that one, I, I read the other one from this guy I really didn't know. And I didn't know his Christian name, it was just Bick, because name, his name was Bickford. And he wrote and said, I'm coming down on leave, um, um, shall we get married? I wrote to George and said, No, thank you, wrote to him and said, Yes, please. And oh. then I, wo- I used to wake my friend up in the middle of the night after we got married and of course he was at, on different stations after that we didn't meet very often i used to shake her in the middle night. the night do you realize i married that guy Oh I'll go to sleep don't worry about it. he may never come back anyway <laughs> wow. and that was the attitude wow yeah
0: and it, it, it obviously worked out
1: um oh, afterwards do you know i didn't know him i didn't know what he liked to eat i know he'd, he'd have a pint in the pub that's I didn't know him, I'd never met his mother, i never met his father. We went down on the Friday. We went up to the registry office in Fairham. Gave notice to get married on the Monday. When we got down, but well, that was the plan, we got down there on the Friday. Our two sisters were there and we said, Jack said, where's mum and dad? Oh, they were away for the weekend. Oh, damn it, we were going to tell them something. They didn't even know I existed and so Monday morning, a Sunday night they came back, and we were getting married Monday morning, and we told them we were getting married. And he had a few sideways look at me, <laughs> and I say, "What's all the hurry here?" And of course, I, I couldn't tell them he couldn't. He was on vacation leave. You couldn't tell them, and so, anyway, we went out and got married at eleven o'clock in the morning. And um, we went back to his house, and had lunch. Back to the station at two o'clock, and back to camp.
2: Wow!
1: And I married in the July. He left in the November because do you remember the three squadrons sent from UK to guard Darwin?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: He was one of the three squadrons. Oh
0: okay.
1: And here he is in, under canvas.
2: Yep.
1: In Darwin. Right. Now. Out of the blue, you got these postings, The squadrons, their squadron and two other squadrons, went, I don't know where the other two squadrons were, and they went up, um, out, and there's a picture of them, they went via, they, they went via America, and there was, that was taken in San Francisco, on their way out.
2: Oh,
1: right. And, That's great. I got a few photographs here. That was my husband, when I married him. And as I say, I didn't know him and his parents. My mother didn't meet him until after she came back from Australia. Wow! We'd been married, by the time she met him, it must have been getting on for three years before. Because they came back later, because the war hadn't finished over there course, you see Japan. and then of course they came back by ship and you know they couldn't take their own aircraft over there yeah. so they picked up aircraft there and so uh, it was a exciting time sometimes they took the aircraft with them sometimes there were aircraft on the stations but what was funny about that I mean ops, ops was just ops you just and and in the and the radar sets it was just going on duty and doing the duty on and moving around on different places yeah. um but we were right out on the headland and Germany did try to attack some of those sets I got I never found out I believe they got one or two of them yeah. of course we wouldn't have known we were told absolutely nothing we asked nothing yeah. it was a need to know everything like that and then I had to get used to him and find out what he liked and what this, that and the other. But fortunately, when m- my mother-in-law found out I wasn't pregnant, and then she, it was a difference, and then she knew he had gone overseas and she connected the dots, so that was all right. Ah, sure, yeah. And she was the most lovely person under the sun. She and I got to be very, very good friends. Because I was out of the WAF by the time he came back. Ah. I'd been demobbed and they... Coming back by sea was a long journey, and they had to wait till the war was over, and there in the Pacific theater of war, and so I got I stayed with her, and she was one of the best friends I ever had in my life, and when I got this notification that the Stratheden was the ship she they came back on, the Stratheden was docking in Southampton at a certain time, and they sent me two passes to go onto the docks, well. I said to her, "You're coming with me." She said, "No, you go meet him on your own." I said, "No, I, I. What if I don't like him?" And she says, "You will. You'll be all right." And I said, "If you don't come, I'm not going." So she came with me, and right from him coming back, it it could have been yesterday. Right. Yeah. You know? We got on well, and then I had to learn. I don't think I'd have married different. If I, I knew what he ate. He didn't eat carrots and he didn't eat onions and he made <laughs> my life difficult. <laughs> but, you know, you knew nothing about them. No, I only knew him as big. They all had nicknames. And I can't tell you too much about Razor, except we were right out on the cliff edge. Um, they, we used to go past Corfe Castle, turning land, go right through farmlands, whether they took us extra places so we wouldn't know where we were going. We were the only other name I did hear was Worth Matravers And I looked it up on the computer and I believe that was a little island just off the coast. But we were on a point. Right. And so Worth Matravers I think by the look of it, was on our right hand side. Okay. But we didn't know it was even there.
2: Yeah.
1: But I tell you what was extremely interesting when the invasion went in and they knew it was successful that was before we came off duty in the morning our controller said now look i'm going to unlock this door and two at a time go out and stand on the cliff edge and see what's been going on and you could see all the bombs going off and the the flames and you could we were so close that we Across the sea, of course, it was no distance.
2: Yeah, yeah. You
1: could see everything that had gone on, wow. you know. But there again, we were so thrilled and so excited; it was successful. But when you go through that, what those poor souls on when they got over there, what they went through. Yeah. I stopped reading. I never got through the last of that because they went through hell, yeah. and we were celebrating, of course, because it had gone in. That's um Yeah, amazing. But you know, we all had nicknames. We very seldom knew anybody's proper name. Um I've got a friend here. Um that was all. We had one girl on the watch from Glasgow, so we called her Scotty. They called her Scotty. We called her Scotty. You never knew a Christian name at all. Then we had another one posted to us from from Edinburgh. We thought, what the heck are we going to call her? So we (laughs) called her Haggis. (laughs) She went right through the war as Haggis. (laughs) And she answered to it. But a funny thing happened to me. Oh, there's there's my friend. That was my friend that, that I was friends with even after the war she yep. was a medical student and that was the the Scotch girl that came and she was haggis
2: ah, but
1: you know a funny thing happened to me twice I was walking down the street in Salisbury in Southern Rhodesia, after he came out after the war
2: yep.
1: and suddenly somebody passed me turned and said, is that you looking? and she had come out to live there and then there was another girl and I met her quite casually. And um, she had married one um, of the fellows on the squadron that Jack was on, and he was shot down in the drink, and he lost a leg. And his name was Eric Opie, and he lived in Auckland. And since I've been here, all of a sudden somebody said, Is that you, Lucky? I said, Yes. And it was Eric Hope's wife,
2: right? You
1: know, far away, miles from nowhere. Yeah, incredible, yeah. isn't it? Life is such a coincidence. Uh,
0: do Do you keep in touch with um, any of the the uh, veterans, any of the the radar people you were with? Are, are there any still around? Well, I think around they're or? all dead now. Right. Did you used to keep in touch?
1: Was there an association um, or kept in touch? Um, For a certain length of time. And then, you know, when we were in Africa and you gradually lose people, you lose touch with them, they move and you move and things like that. But I had kept in touch with quite a few of them, especially Valley. And her name, by the way, was Margaret Valens. I didn't know that. (laughs) And another thing that shook me was um, one time she was going home on leave and I got a a 36 hour pass. So she said, oh, Why don't you get on the train and come up and stay overnight with her and her mother and her sister? And I go a very Great House, she goes hunting with the hounds and all that sort of thing. I thought, oh, Is this where you come from, Valley? You know?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you didn't, nobody. And we had another girl with us. And she came from a, um, a big um, brewing family in England called the Courages. Oh, yeah, yep.
2: Yeah.
1: You ha- heard I the heard Courages? The courage, yeah, yeah. Well, we had a Courage with us. Her na- n- name was Dizzy. She was always Dizzy Courage because she never knew where she'd put anything, so we called her Dizzy. <laughs> I don't know what her name was apart from being Dizzy. Yeah. And I didn't get to know too many of their surnames because my name uh, on most of my stations was Aldrit and of course when we went on pay parade, you had to go up and stand and wait for your numbers to be called in an old restaurant and call your last three numbers and salute and go and get your pay my name was Aldrit and of course I was the beginning of the line right. and blowing Valley her name was Valens so I just to have to wait and wait and wait for her to get to the head and Line. And we were issued out, on paper 8, with 30 cigarettes, once a fortnight.
2: Right.
1: That was our pay in 30 cigarettes. Okay. Now, I never smoked. For one reason, Valley had been a chain smoker. And when she hadn't got a cigarette, she used to be as miserable as anybody could be. So I used to hide my 30 away. And when she got too bad, i say, here, Valley, have this one. Oh, can't I have No. Nope keep yourself going with that one. Then I used to double them out to her.
2: Right.
1: But but what was the wor- we did it was normal. What was the worst part? Everything had to come out of your own time. You know? And we had when you had kit inspections, we had beds and we didn't have mattresses. We had what we called biscuits. That was like you have a couch with three cushions in it. Yeah and we they if you weren't using your bed they had to be stacked and you had one of those roly poly pillows you stacked on top we had never had sheets we had army type blankets okay. and you know all that sort of thing was quite normal to us we soon got used to it and but the thing is with poor the trouble there was a lot of people a girl got rheumatism very very badly because it was a damp area and then if the old slow combustion stove wasn't working it was cold and when it started working the steam would rise off the blankets then they send from main camp down we're taking all your blankets away and giving you new ones so they took all the old ones away and forgot to send the new ones down <laughs> in our own time, we had to wait for them the delivery of blankets, yeah. um, but there was so much. And I can you understand why I, I say the, uh, that six years of war was some of the best of my life.
0: I can totally understand that. Yeah, I
1: can, huh? because and the comradeship, can't.
0: the comradeship alone that you you build up in the services, and uh, I mean, as you say, every spare moment you could, you were having fun. Yeah. You, were, you were making
1: fun
0: and yeah and you see you it.
1: you had to be perfect with your work don't never got on radar set if you were perfect nobody made mistakes on radar yeah. Um on plotting tables early on somebody could make a mistake and be corrected very quickly uh, but you learn never to make mistakes because life's depended on it you know yes. yeah. and, and so there, there was so much going on all the time it was never a dull moment in fact um, when we had kit parades, <laughs> um, when we were poor, trees it was particularly bad in and this and that. And beds all down one side, and you had your bed, and you had equivalent to that the width of your bed next door was your bed space, where there was a locker and there was a hanger to put you. you know? And you were, had to keep that clean. You had to keep that clean, and um, all those sort of times that, um, you know, they had kit parade. <laughs> the officers used to come in, they used to go down, they, I don't know why they didn't catch on, they used to go down one side, check the kit and come round and come down the other side. Well we made sure the people on this side, because when you got kitted out, you were kitted out with everything that you had to account for, and uh, cutlery and that was, we were kitted out with an enamel mug and an enamel plate, one fork, one knife, one spoon. A spoon had to do for tea, porridge or whatever. And so they started down one side. We knew they were going to catch it first. So we, they always do it the same way round. And we used to lend them all the things they were short of. And then when the officers had gone down the other end, they used to shoot them back across the other side. We covered for each other. And sometimes sometimes we were very naughty. If you wanted to go out, you wanted to go to a dance or something that was on, or go out with a boyfriend, that was before I was married, um, you'd knew you'd want, you'd be late coming into camp. So you wouldn't book out, you'd yeah. sneak out and get somebody on another watch to cover for you. And then when you came late, you'd sneak back in again. And they used to come and sleep in your bed. They used to do a bed check. Yep. All the beds were full. Thank you very much. Everybody's there. <laughs> then when you came back, you tapped the person on the bed. They went back to their bed. You jump back in your bed. <laughs> we got up to all sorts of things. I got caught only once. I then I went to the cookhouse peeling spuds <laughs> the cookhouse was always, the worst thing in the cookhouse was the potatoes, because we our food was very basic, we lived practically, almost continually on tins of bully beef. they came over from Argentina in the convoys, or I don't know who sent us those blasted tins of pilchards in tomato sauce, because we had those had to have those always twice a week. And bully beef we had to have three times a week. And at Portreath, we got such a stack of bully beef down there that when the, the ground was wet, we used to put bully beef down and walk on it. <laughs> and then when they wanted, they dug it up, washed the tins, and we ate it. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, it wasn't all <laughs> serious. <laughs> and then this <laughs> friend, Valley of mine, she was late getting ready one morning and it was dark winter morning, we went on at 6. And she said, Lucky, when you go into the cookhouse, just grab me something for breakfast. So I go into the cookhouse, and we got better food than the civilians did, of yes, course. And yes. um, go into the cookhouse. On the way out, I got a couple pieces of bread. And I spied an egg that was li- lying around there. I don't know who it belonged to. So I got the egg and I put b- between the two pieces of bread. Got in the dark in the in the transport to go on duty, but the egg wasn't fully set.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, those things made life. And and the songs we everything that happened during the war, like where that where the Maginot line was, Germans had the Maginot line, you remember, that was one of their big defences. Yeah. Bring out your washing on the Maginot line, Have you, any dirty washing, mother dear. Bring out the washing on the Siegfried line, it was, no, that was the Siegfried line, if the Siegfried line's still there. Yeah. You made up songs and bless them all and things like that, are long and they're short and they tall. Bless all the corporals and their blinking sons. Bless all the sergeants and the W-O-1s. There'd be no more promotion this side of the ocean, so forget the lot and bless them all. And we used to sing these songs that we made up. And then you used to put, we used to, coming round the mountain and all these old songs. The minute you got in the transport to go on duty, somebody would start sing singing, you would right. sing until you got back. It wasn't quite as boisterous coming off shift, but you know people were a bit tired. But <laughs> another funny thing came into my work life um, when we had in a big camp. You would have when stand down between sessions, and if it was a quiet night, you could go down to the canteen as well on when you were scheduled to come off.
2: Yeah.
1: And we had bunks down there for nights and if it was a quiet night you could go down get onto a bunk and have a bit of sleep you never addressed of course of course you never knew when you were going to get caught up it was a flap on and so (laughs) one night I was told to go down and get get the, the person in number two rack and I shook him And he didn't want to get up and he was lethargic. I shook him again and he said, Come on, get up here. And I grabbed hold of him and I pulled his hair. And he was an albino. What did I get in my hand with a blue wig?
2: Oh.
1: I shot out of there before he could see who took his wig off. He never knew who took his wig off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, all those sort of funny things that. They stick in your mind, and going out early in the morning when you were bit just come off duty before a light before you went off, um go through the farmers' fields around close by you couldn't go very far. one station I was on we were operating from a barn above a working a farm yeah. that you see you had to be somewhere out of sight yeah. and and when I first went up there. Um, I had had my fortune sold just before then by some fortune teller <laughs> with a friend of mine. She said, you're going to work on a farm. I said, uh-oh, I'm not working on a farm. <laughs> I go up on duty. Where do I turn into a farmyard? And we were operating above and our canteen was down below. So in the morning, you get up when it's just getting light, go out and see if you could find some mushrooms, that. and then the cooks would cook them for you, you right. see. And face to face, the farmer's bull. He looked at me, and I looked at him. I stood perfectly still, and he stood still. And then he just thought, oh, it's not worth looking at, and just turn around and walk the other way. <laughs> but if you could get some mushrooms, that helps along with our breakfast, you see. Yeah. The cooks... The cooks were very good to us. If you could get a bit of anything that you know wasn't on ration, but we never saw banana the whole time through the war. Never saw an orange. Never saw a lemon. Never saw anything like that. Okay. Um, I, that's a lie, really, because we were I, we were in pool in Dorset, one off duty time with Valley. We were walking along this street, and a little shop had some lemons, and you could buy only half one each. Okay. And we posted them back to our mothers, because, oh, that sort of stuff was like gold dust. Yeah. You never saw it. But you got plenty of plums in season and things like that in season. Yeah. And, but you got used to it, and I don't know. I'd go back to those days any time at all. But I'll tell you one person. We used to see a lot of people when we were in ops rooms, because they used to come up to the dais and see how we worked. And the young Duke of Kent, years ago, he came up to our ops room. Of course, we had to, everything had to be perfect. A bit, they had polished the floor half the night when he was coming and things like that. And it was two weeks before he was killed. He was in the army. His wife was Princess Marina, and he was killed two, two weeks after that. But we saw all the... Um, American film stars. They used to get into our, they came over with the American army yeah. and they used to come up and come into our ops rooms. Wow. Not radar sets, nobody ever visited a radar set, yeah. never. Yeah. Ops rooms, yes. That's, we met an awful lot of the um, these people, well known people through the war, but how I ever got to, I never got to see Archibald Sinclair ever but he's written about it in the books, of course, but um, that was his, her cousin. And that's, that's where... Amazing, isn't it? I've had the most amazing life of coincidences. I think that's why they, could, they nicknamed me Lucky, especially when I got away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> really, you can't... I can't tell you much about radar because radar was so small and so... It was all yeah. positions and working on catheter tubes. I mean, you still use catheter tubes today, and yeah. um, but your work had to be absolutely spot on.
2: But,
1: um, I'd like to know if that chap sparks Sparks. He lived in Auckland. He was a tall, handsome guy too, yeah. but I didn't know what his surname was or anything. It's just Sparks. Yeah. That the trouble with me now, of course, half of them are dead. That's right. But somebody up there doesn't want me. <laughs> Probably caused too much trouble. <laughs> and they can wait a bit longer. <laughs> I've got a lot more I want to do yet.
2: Oh, that's good.
1: But most of them, like the um, all-wing commanders and that, you met them because they were on the squadrons and things like that. But apart from that, but there was another funny thing, of course. If you were not an officer, you couldn't walk with an officer. And I was so thankful that Jack didn't get his first stripe until he was posted overseas. Uh, but okay. it meant in uniform I couldn't have walked with him. Right, right. No, no, out, absolutely out. That's why a lot of girls usually change and smuggle some civvies in. Uh, right. And we got caught out there. I got called out badly once there because what we used to do, we got very friendly with a lady who ran a big underground toilets in Salisbury in England. And we were just outside, we were at Colin then, and, and um, she ran that. And she used to let us go in there, keep a few civvies in camp. Everybody kept a bit. And she used to, um, we used to go in there and change out of our uniform. Put on slivers, come back, change into uniform, and go back to camp, you see. She used to keep our service, or anything you borrowed. Um, but it came back once, and I was late coming back, and that was AOL, absolutely, late leave. I knew I was going to be in trouble. Um, but um, I was on desertion charge oh. because. I abandoned my uniform. That made it desertion. Wow. I took it from being absent without leave. I had to go up main camp before uh, all the high ups there, before a tribunal and everything. But I was very, very lucky because um, the man, the officer that was running it, All the WEF officers were sitting there looking daggers at me. And they're going to get me this time. And but the officer that was running it knew the squadrons well, and he he knew Jack's wing commander, and he knew why I stayed over. It was because Jack was on embarkation leave, and so they were expecting me to get sentenced because they didn't shoot you in those days but you you go into jail there
2: yeah.
1: and um, they were all sitting there waiting and now we got her this time and so he said to me about her so I I said well I said he, his, his embarkation leave was extended and I just didn't want to come back so he said yes then he said uh, so it was, what, was it, what was he Gibbs his name was and he said, well, all right, he said, when's your husband going? I said, well, they've got another extension now. They're going you know, within a few days. He said, if I give you four days leave, you promise me you come back on time. I said, what? I've got off. And the officers were furious. <laughs> they didn't like this at all. But just because he knew Jack's squadron, right. it's not what you know, it's who you know. It It's like meeting Lulu. Exactly. And and I got away with that one. Brilliant. And nobody could believe I'd ever get away with that one. I got away with that one. Wow. But when I got married, um, Jack um, rang me. We had phone boxes in the camp. And he'd leave a message with him, anybody that was part. Oh, when you see um, Lucky, just tell her to be at the box at a certain time, and I I want to ring her. So he rang me, and he said, I I'm getting leave. Um, can you manage some leave, or when can you manage some leave? And I said, Well, we got a 36-hour camp coming up. And he said, when's that going to be? Because the, they could get leave far, far more easily. With the, they always had to have spare pilots and things like that. Yeah. And so he said, all right, you come down to, to my home. And that's when we went down there and his mother and father weren't there. Um, but um, I did go back. And I did get back on time, so I didn't get in any more trouble. But All these sort of things, leave was never, it was a privilege, it was never a right. You were due for leave, you may be going on leave in next week's time, you were told, and suddenly out of the blue it was cancelled, you know, you belong to them, body and so on. Uh, so I could tell you hundreds of stories. Of what I, so many things that happened, I've got to think what they are. Yeah. But the bridgian is, I can get it up on my computer and I look at that and I think half a pint of beer and two glasses, please.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and but, mm, but people thought we drank a lot. I always had the reputation of drinking a lot. It wasn't that. It was getting somewhere warm, right. away from the camps. Right. Yes, when we were, uh, we were going to be busy, buildings at Sopley Park in the manor house, we thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. God, those old manor houses. Flagstone floors, freezing cold, drafty as the devil, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the pub was down over the bridge. It was a bridge and Sopley Arms was there. That's just outside Christchurch. Yeah. And, you know, oh, that's so much. I mean, I could I could go on telling funny stories forever, yeah. but but do you know, it's the funny things you remember. It's the things you shouldn't have done, and the <laughs> things you got away with. You don't remember just going on shift and coming up. Well, what would they have been?
2: Exactly. Yeah. You know,
1: and we used to have one shift we were on, and. Um, we used to race in off duty straight into the cookhouse, grab some lunch, have some lunch, dash back out through the through the guard room, book out, get out on the road quickly because the rubbish cart used to come through, and they had a running board where they used to stand on to put rubbish in, and you could stand on the back of that and get to where you wanted to go, right. <laughs> and and hitching we used to hitch from miles and we used to hitch to get there. We never knew how in the devil we were going to get back, but we usually managed it. And, but one Christmas day, that was the, uh, the Silver Valley, um, we were on, off duty for 36 hours, and it was Christmas Day. I never had a Christmas at home once during the war. Um. So we said, what should we do? So we came off duty and we went in and we had breakfast. We said, Christmas Day, what in the devil are we going to do? Oh, let's go down to, to Falmouth. Now, the people in the hotels, they got to know you. and People on farms got to know you. And we could go down to the Greenbanks Hotel in, Fal- in, um, in Falmouth. And they never charged us a bean. You yeah. we, uh, go down there, might have a couple of nights, down, all your meals were free, everything, because they looked after you very, very well when you were in the service. So Valley says, Come on, let's go down to the Green Banks. So we go there. Nothing on the roads. Nothing on the road on Christmas morning. So we stand there and we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait. We wait. And Valley says, God, I think I hear something. Come get that up onto the road, ready to hitch hitch this black car coming along. And he stopped and he says, Where are you two off to? Because we were in uniform. We were going down to the Greenbanks in Falmouth. He said, well, I'm going down to Falmouth, but again, I'm going to the mortuary. This was a hearse. He said, if you don't mind travelling with a stiff in the back. And we said, we don't care who we travel with. <laughs> and, you know, those things, those made life. Yeah. And all sorts of things happened like that. That I could tell, ugh. Oh, lots of funny stories but we didn't care whether there was two stiffs in the back of was as long as they were dead that was all right there. <laughs> See not many people have had a life like mine and I still I want to go and enjoy my life more as well nobody wants me up there. <laughs> and now I could so many th- 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 funny things happen there we got back to camp by the skin of our teeth more than once. And of course you were in a charge for everything. If you had a button undone or you hadn't polished your buttons, the SDs were there. And that was why we used to try to change and get into civilian clothes because if we could get into civilian clothes and leave them in the, in the, the underground place in Salisbury and Column, um it meant you were in civilian clothes so they couldn't get you. But if you're your uniform, your hair just to touch your collar, you're on the chart. Yeah. Back in the cookhouse peeling spuds.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I've peeled so many spuds in my life. Uh, some um, I don't know. I love to talk about those days. I wish I had somebody of those days to talk with. I don't know anybody that's alive now.
2: All right.
1: All right. Why I'm here, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I run my own house, look after my own affairs, do everything for myself. Right. And, you know, I don't need anybody to look after me. Um, so, oh, no, some, I've had so some, some many very important funny things I can't even remember, and, I, and suddenly they come back and, when I'm talking to you. I was just thinking of something else, and then and I, it's gone again. Yeah. But, you know, I think if you've got the attitude to take the best out of life and not moan when things go wrong. Yeah. I wasn't exactly pleased when I went on my court-martial, but I must say that. that. I laughed when I came out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so thank you very much, Connie. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure to, um, <sighs> to sit down and talk with you. Cheers. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.